We are so thankful for Dr. Sam Huddleston and Pastor Linda Huddleston. We love you both. We so honor you and we so appreciate all that God has done through you on our behalf. Welcome. Father, I'm grateful to you for this day. Thank you for the pastors of this house, Pastor Sunhi and Benjamin. Thank you that his mother, Bishop Robinson, is here and all these incredible saints of the Most High God. So Lord, I pray that you would just simply take the words of my mouth, uh, meditations of my heart, May they be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. You are my strength and my redeemer. And I do give you praise. More than I could ever give you with my lips or my life. I'm grateful. I'm so grateful. Every time I come to this house, Lord, wherever they're meeting at, they don't need me to come. I need to come. My heart is always encouraged because I know that your presence is here and I get to experience your presence in a fresh way. So I pray that those that are here this morning and those that are watching, they're about to give me a gift, Lord, they'll never get back again, the gift of their time. And I pray that we'll not waste their time. And I give you praise in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is indeed an opportunity. It's just great to wake up. And the older I get, the greater it becomes. Thank you for allowing me to be here again. It's good to see Bishop Robinson here and some members of our church years ago. They're so faithful. They're related to this, to this couple. But thank all of you for, for being here. I want to show you. I show you this every year. It's a PowerPoint. It just says 150. So all it says, 150 and a map of uh, United States. And I want to remind you, uh, what it does is every, every, every day, uh, Alarm goes off, normally it vibrates, to remind me to pray for our nation. One nation and 50 states. There's so many people have an opinion about what's going on, and that's all it is, is an opinion. But if we pray more, just maybe God will do more. So I try to remind myself to pray more, because I really want God to do more. And I just ask you may even join me. Set an alarm on your phone and people, Man, what is that? And, and, and mine just vibrates. Nobody even knows. Yeah. But now there are people in my office and others around the world that are praying for our nation at 150. Wow. You can put AM or PM. I have no idea how you work or where you work. But just pray. Yeah. Just pray. A few weeks ago, my wife and I were speaking in Oakland. And I woke up in the morning, and uh, the hotel we were staying at, had a coffee shop not far from our room. Their coffee was, was horrible. And so I thought, I'm going to go get me some coffee. Well, when I walked out, I went in a certain direction. And when I looked over here, there was a lady. And she was pulling a suitcase. And she was walking like this. And I went down. I saw her. I, but I went down and got me some coffee. Now, if the hotel was here. And if I go this way, make a little left and a little right, there was a coffee place. So when I got my coffee, I thought, if I go this way, I'm going to run into that lady. I really don't want to run into that lady. So I'm going to go this other way. I ran right into her. 
I walk over to, I've been walking with the Lord long enough to know when he's trying to tell me something. So I walked over to her and I just said, hi, what's your name? She tells me her name. Where are you from? See, listen, when you're talking to a stranger, don't ask them where they're from. You can be from a lot of places, but I guarantee you can only be born in one. I said, well, where are you from? Where are you born? I was born in Boston. Massachusetts? No, just another little town out. I said, you know what? I just want to. Is it okay if I just pray for you? And she just, and she, 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 she says, mm-hmm, that'd be fine, that'd be fine. And I just put my hands on her and prayed over her and thanked her for letting me pray for her and went on from there and went to my room. We got dressed, went to the church. As we were leaving, she was right, she was, she was just still, she hadn't gone 10 feet. And I pulled up beside her and looked at my wife and said, who is that? I said, oh, that's Kathy. <laughs> it's like, she doesn't even ask you anymore, how do you know him? She already knows. <laughs> so I just pulled up, I said, hi, Kathy, this is my wife, Linda. And she's, hi. I said, honey, and she's from? She goes, I am. I said, then you have a good day, okay? And we drive off. Next morning we get up and getting ready to leave Oakland, and I don't care where I'm at, it has nothing to do with Oakland. I'm just, I just want to go home. I don't know about you, the best, the best sight for me is when I see that sign that says Muldoon Way. I just get, I love coming home. I came home the other day and my wife's car was gone and I got upset. Because I, I like to be, I like to come home and she's home. And when I was at work the other day, they said, one of the guys said, where's, where's Linda? I said, oh, she's at home. He said, what's she doing? I said, she's missing me. <laughs> he just looked at me, oh yeah, I know she is. So the next morning, normally I'm in a hurry to get back home, and I said, hey, you want another coffee shop? Want to stop here and have some coffee? She says, we're not in a hurry? I said, ah, we're not in a hurry. We go inside, I'm sitting at a table, the glass, the window is right here. This guy comes walking by with his pants about down to his knees, and he's walking like this. I just get up, I walk outdoors. She says, where are you going? I said, I'll be right back. So I go outside, I said, hi, where are, you, where are you from? I'm from right here in Oakland. And then he's mad because the Rams had won the Super Bowl and they got to play in LA. And he's mad about the 70s when the Oakland Raiders won the, playing in a Super Bowl and they didn't get to play in Oakland. And I'm listening to him and I said, you, 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 may, you need some hands, maybe, you know. He says, I'm okay, I'm okay. And I get some money out of my pocket, and I said, name's James. I said, James, can I pray for you? He says, sure. So I prayed for James. I go back inside, and Lizzie says, where have you been? I said, I was outside talking to James. Who is James? You know, that guy that just watched. You just got it. I got it. <laughs> and with those two experiences, it was like the Lord began to speak to me. This is what he said. That's you. I said, hey, me. I don't walk hunched over. He said, yeah, yeah, that's you. you you're an executive now. And you, 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 you get at what you do. But this is how you look. I said, what do you mean? I don't look down. He says, even when you're looking out here, you're looking down. I said, no. He says, let me. You know, when God's trying to say something, the best thing to do is listen and not try to convince God that God doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> even if you, you, know, you don't like what he's saying, and God said, let me give you a couple examples. He reminded me of a time I was headed somewhere. I was in the airport, a young man named Daniel. Got to the counter, and 
I was trying to change seats for the next leg of the flight because I didn't want to sit where I was at. He says, if I change your seats, it's the same seat, just on a different flight. I said, don't worry about it. I'm good, man. And I turned to walk away and he goes, wait a minute. He said, man, something happened like a, like a flash of light. I said, you know, uh, something, he said, like a twinkling in the eye. It just happened. I go, you know, something else going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. He looks straight up and he goes, I know. I said, what is it? God's coming back. I said, he is. I said, are, are you ready? No, I'm not, I'm not ready. Pray for me. Just pray for me. I said, all right. Changes my seat. And I walk off. And I come back and get in line again. And I get back in line. He's doing something. He looks up. He sees me, kind of jumps. And I said, you asked me to do something for you that I could have done that I didn't do. I said, you asked me to pray for you. He goes, yeah. I said, I want to pray for you. You can always tell church folk. I said, I want to pray for you. And immediately he goes. <laughs> and I said, do you like your job? He said, yes. Yeah. Then look at me. Just look at me. Just watch me. Just listen to me. And I said, Lord, this is Daniel. He said, I said, Daniel knows you're coming back. I said, Daniel, he's not ready for you to come back. I said, but Daniel wants to be ready when you come back. And we have a prayer. And I said, give me your, give me your address. I'm going to send you something when I get home. We're having dinner one night in San Francisco. And these four guys over here talking about, I can hear them. I wasn't ear hustling, but they were just talking so loud. There's a difference of being nosy and just, you know, you understand. And I'm sitting there with my wife and a friend, his wife, and I can hear them talking about a friend of theirs who had just become a Christian, and they couldn't figure out what happened to him. He didn't smoke drugs. He doesn't do all the stuff. We, what, what happened to him? And I just get up. And I go to their table. I said, you guys mind if I sit down? And they go, uh, uh, yeah, go ahead. I said, I happened over here. You're talking about a friend of yours who had become a Christian. They said, yeah. And you don't know what happened to him. I said, no. I said, can I tell you? They said, yeah. And I just tell them. I go back and sit down. I tell my friend what I had just done, of course. He said, you're nuts, man. You're just totally nuts. God says, see, you don't, you don't do a lot of that anymore. You, you're, just, you're just looking down. Wow. Yeah. I, I think God has something real special for you this morning. Huh. Let me tell you why. I wake up this morning, and I don't sleep like I used to, eight, seven, eight hours, and I just... And I thought, man, you know what? I need, to, I'm gonna, I need to know if I'm getting any of the deep sleep, shadow sleep. I need to start monitoring my steps and all the rest. And, and I'm laying in bed and I'm saying, that's got to get me a Fitbit or something like that. And then I just get up and I come to church. I'm walking out to my car with Pastor Benjamin and some gentleman comes up to him and he hands him, do you want this? He goes, I don't need that. Maybe my wife would want it. I go, what is that? It's like a Fitbit. He says, you want it? I'm, I want to go, no, I don't want that, man. That's, that's way too close to what God said, to what I woke up thinking about. He says, I just, I just put it in my car. Some of you, you don't necessarily need a Fitbit, but you do need to check up. So I just want to ask you a question. I want to ask you, what, what, what do you see? What do you see? Now listen to these words. Just coming out of Acts chapter 3. First question I'm going to ask you this morning is what happened in Acts chapter 3. Listen to these words. One day. Everything happens one day. Yeah. Your entire life can change. Mine did. One day, yeah. 45 years ago, I said I do. My whole life changed. I just didn't know how much it was going to change, but it changed. Yeah. <laughs> Linda didn't know how much hers was going to change, but it changed. One day. One day. One day. Yeah. It says one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. 
at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money, but Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. Look at us. The beggar, he looks them in the face. When I was, was pastoring, I tell our folks, when you get to a stop sign, and most of you do that, you see someone every day on the corner begging, yeah. signs and all the rest. I used to challenge him to do this. Just look at them. Ed's here and he's going, yeah, yeah, he remembers. I said, just look at them. I'm not telling you to give them a dime. I said, but it's humiliating enough to stand out there with a sign. Just look them in the face. And then whatever the spirit tells you to do, do that. He may tell you, smile at him. He may tell you to wave at him. He may tell you something else. But at least don't sit there looking straight ahead and through the corner of your eye. You see them looking at you. It's like they don't, they do exist. Yeah. Now they do exist. You might not like their existence, yeah. but they do exist. Yeah, yeah. And Peter tells this beggar, look at us. Because yeah. see, this is, what, this is what's going on. He realizes he's got these guys. He's, listen, a beggar knows when they have your attention. He knows he's got their attention. He's putting on his basket over here, but he wants to make sure there could be another person he could get their attention as well. But Peter said, if you want what we have, look at us. And all of a sudden, he's probably never had that before. People just throw money at him. And just, but nobody said, look at us. Peter says, look at us. So the man gave them his attention expecting to get something from them. He was going to get something, but not what he expected. Yeah. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name. <laughs> now listen to me. There's no pressure on us to pray for people to be healed, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, emotionally healed. There's no pressure on us. There's pressure is on the name. Pressure is on the name. And they said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now watch this. And then they take him by the hand. They help him up. And instantly the Bible says the man's feet and ankles become strong. He jumped to his feet, began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking, jumping, and praising God. When all of the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Well, then what happened? Yeah. Peter and John on their way to church, just like many of you this morning. What did you see coming in today? Well, I mean, really, what did you see? Were you only looking for Starbucks? Or wherever you get your coffee from? Did you, see that? Did you really see that person on the street corner? Did you see that home? My wife and I, every time we go through, there's so many homeless embankments and we just begin to pray. Yeah. I want to stop and talk. I like talking to people. I want to hear your story because I know you weren't born underneath this bridge in a tent. And everybody has a story. Yeah. Peter and John on their way to church. And they see this man. Yeah. They're confronted with a man with a need. He's begging. Yeah. He's crippled. The Bible says from birth. He catches the eyes of Peter, and John and he asked him for money. Peter and John tell him, look at us. He does. 
They tell the man, we don't have silver, we don't have gold, but we got a name. <laughs> oh, we got a name. In that name, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and they, listen, they take his hand. You know the thing, my dad's been dead now 11 years. You know the thing I miss the most? Is his hand just touching me. He'd pray for me and he'd just do this. He just always used to do this. When I read this, I said to myself, I wonder how long has it been since he had been touched. The one thing, some folk would rather give a hopeless person money than to touch them. We took our grandbabies one time during Easter season downtown Sacramento area where we live and had this big homeless outreach. And I, they looked at this man as, well, why is he out here? I said, well, let's ask him. So I got my older grandbabies, we go up. He tells them the story and I said, can we pray for you? He said, sure, we pray for him. And one of my granddaughters is looking at me, she's got about three, four dollars. She goes, I said, no money. <laughs> so we get done praying, she goes and hand it to him and he looks at me and I say, hey, it's her money. We go home, they go home, they tell their mother, I have two sons, I have one daughter. My daughter is 42 years old because she says she's not getting any older than 42, but she's 40. <laughs> and they tell my daughter, my daughter comes over and says, Daddy, you know what would be really wonderful for Thanksgiving? I said, what? If Mr. So-and-so was here at the house. Now, listen, folks. The only thing I do on Thanksgiving is watch football and eat. <laughs> what I don't want is a homeless man in my house. Besides, what do you go? There's not an encampment that says homeless. I live at 1135 Homeless Street. I thought, I'm not even, I can't even find him. That's all she said. Daddy would be, I go out looking for this guy. I find him. <laughs> and I say, they say there's no such thing as a dumb question. I'm going to give you two. I say to him, so what are you doing on Thanksgiving? <laughs> Second question, would you like to come to my house? And he says, some of y'all know about this drug. And he says, yes. See that building right there? I said, yes. So what time do you want to pick me up? I tell him, he goes, okay, I'll be coming out of that building right there. I said, what's that for? He goes, I'll be going over getting my methadone. So you're going to get methadone because you're trying to kick heroin, and I'm going to bring you to my house to spend Thanksgiving. <laughs> and I pick him up, and I bring him to my house. He's sitting in my chair all day long, washes his clothes, and my grandbabies come in. And they see him, and they're so delighted that he's there. And then one of them has the nerve to say after a few hours, you know, Papa, you and Mom Nani got this big old house. Maybe he'd like to stay with y'all. <laughs> and I say, oh, no, he, don't wanna, he would never like, and he's looking at me like, now you done lost your ever-loving mind. <laughs> How long had he been? Since he'd been, how long has it had it been since he'd been in somebody's house and somebody just loves? Maybe the real healing when you're praying over someone to be healed is the love that's exuding from you onto them. What happened? A man got healed. Why did it happen? God wanted his followers to know that he started, what he started with his son Jesus was not over. had just begun. That's why a man was killed. Third question, can it happen today? Or a better question might be, why isn't it happening today? See, people aren't looking 
and all they think about is themselves. John Wimber's book, one of the books, <laughs> I like to read two or three books at a time, but this one book I'm reading has a story in here. And John Wimber says the following. John Wimber's home with the Lord, but he had an incredible healing ministry. He says, when I began hearing the Lord regarding praying for the sick, I had no actual proof in my life or ministry that God would back up my actions. When I began teaching on the works of the kingdom, I'd often, I'd often be asked, did you experience the miraculous healing that led you into this ministry? Have you had a visitation from an angel? Did a divine healer lay hands on you and impart his anointing on you? These kinds of questions presuppose a theology that, no particip that, that to participate in Jesus' ministry, I needed some kind of spiritual experience to initiate my ministry. My response to these kinds of questions was simple. No, it's in the book. So I do it. I was obeying scripture because I believe that if Jesus said it and did it, then I should do it. Wimmer didn't preach that God wanted to heal people because he had seen people healed. Wimmer didn't preach that God wanted to heal people because he had been healed himself. Wimmer preached that God wanted to heal people because that is what Jesus preached and that is what Jesus did. Even when Wilmer did not see, Wimber did not see uh, results, and, and some say he didn't see any results for two years yeah. before anyone in his meetings was healed, Wimber continued to preach that Jesus came to forgive of, give us of our sins and heal our diseases because that's what it says in the book. Yeah. Wow. Wimber says we cannot do or teach less than what is in the Bible. Yeah. It isn't our job to heal. It is our job to be obedient and to trust God no matter what. When we pray for a person's healing, our goal should be that no matter the outcome, healed or not, that we are to leave him or her feeling more loved by God than before we prayed. Amen. What does this miracle mean to us today? The miracle of Acts 3 is not a description of a one time never to be repeated period in the Holy Spirit's activity in the world. The great debilitating delusion is that the gifts of faith, healing, the working of miracles ended with the apostolic age when the disciples all died. And that's not so. God never changes. Hebrews 13, 8 says he is the same. He is the same. And he is the same. And the needs of people are not essentially any different. What he did through his spirit years ago, he wants to do today. How? By our faith. You see, it's not humanly initiated capacity. That's not what faith. We can't all of a sudden, I got faith. It is utterly futile and guilt producing to tell ourselves or anyone else that what you need is more faith. Yeah. Every one of you have at least an ounce of faith. You say, well, how do you know? I got a question. How many of you before you sat down and checked the legs on that, on that chair? You just sat down. Why? It's a chair. What is a chair? Chairs hold you up. You, some of you may have more faith in the chair than you do in Jesus. Faith is a response to Christ's love revealed on the cross and experienced through the power of the resurrection. We have 13 grandbabies. One of them just turned 11. She, my wife bought her the Easter story in a children's book. She loves to read. So she's sitting on the couch the other day and she's reading the Easter story. And all of a sudden, when she gets to the end, she closes the book. She has this faraway look in her eyes and she says these words. How did he come back to life again? Now, 
as a dad. So here's the difference between a dad and a grandfather. When you're a dad, everything has to be dealt with right now. When you're a grandfather, time's your friend. See, she's not going to forget that. And I'm surely not going to forget that. So in a week or two, a few days, I will be walking her to school and I'll say something like, did you ever get an answer to your question? And she will say, what question? I will say, the one about how did he come back to life again? And she will say something like, I don't know. And then I will say, there's a little boy in the Bible. He was probably maybe even your age. His name was Samuel. And God revealed himself to Samuel. So your grandfather is praying that God will reveal himself to you so that you will have an answer to your question. Because when she gets an answer to that question, nobody will be able to stop her. Nobody. Some of you really need an answer to that question. It'll revolutionize your life. You heard the story and you just kind of happenstance believed it, but you really never experienced that for yourself. Faith comes by hearing the truth. It happens when our minds are invaded with the assurance of his forgiveness and acceptance. He gives the gift of faith in a response. And that response is expressed in the elements of faith, acceptance, and surrender of our lives. A commitment of all that we have and are to serve him as Lord of our lives and an openness and willingness to be filled with his spirit. How did this happen? The Holy Spirit who gave us the gift of faith also to believe the gospel also gives us a gift of applied faith for specific needs and challenges of life. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way so out so that you can endure it. What is the way out? It's called your faith in what you've been reading. How? This faith given to us by God through his spirit is the healing power of the world. You are a healing agent if indeed you are following Jesus. A spirit-filled life is the answer for every home. Every church, every community, every job, every county, state, nation, it's the answer for our world. If, another, if enough of us just really, truly believe in the spirit and the presence of the power of the Holy One of Israel, there's no healing on this planet apart from the resurrected power of Jesus. So I ask you today, what do you see? Now, what do you really, when you look across the room and some guy's got profanity or some woman is just, they're vile. What do you, do you see them as lost or do you see them as, I just don't even want to be around them. Do you see them as maybe there's a way I can kind of get close to them and, 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 and maybe get to tell them about Christ so they can experience what I've experienced, if indeed you have experienced something? Yeah. You see, it all begins with a self-evaluation. Yeah. So, so where are you right now with God? Yeah. Where is your faith? Yeah. What do you see in your home, your family, your neighborhood, city, state, nation, world? What's in your heart? Yeah. Wow. And then the last question. How will you use your faith to do something about what you see? Wow. Wow. By the way, the answer to the question for my 11-year-old granddaughter is simply this. It's profound, but it's simple. God the Father raised him from the dead. <laughs> and when he reveals that to her, and she has her own faith, yeah. and it is ignited by God, she'll never be the same. Wow. You'll never be the same. We too are raised from our spiritual death 
when we put our faith and trust in the risen Christ. That is what being born again or becoming a follower of Jesus is all about. It begins with repenting and getting one's heart right with God. Then and only then can we do something with the faith he has given us to exercise on his behalf. And we get to exercise it in opportunities where he opens up our eyes and he says, do it. But if your heart's not right, it all begins with a heart transformation. He's got to touch your heart. You've got to come to a place where you realize, I'm not quite sure I understand that thing, him rising from the dead. I'd like to. And I'm telling you, once you experience the resurrection, your life will never be the same again. You'll either grow and become more like Jesus or become the most miserable Christian anybody's ever met because you have experienced the resurrection. I'll pray for you. I'm going to ask the question first. If you're here right now today and you say, you know, I'm like your granddaughter. I'm still trying to figure out how he rose from the dead. But I'd like to start a journey. Now, you know, I didn't say, God, forgive me for all my sins. We don't have all afternoon for you to do that. (laughs) But you can say, I want to start a journey. And on the journey, every now and then, he'll kind of thump you a little bit. And you say, oh, I forgot about that one. Boop. Keep walking with Jesus. And if there's something, you you can even tell him, God, you know, I really like this. This particular sin I like. But this preacher that we have with our pastor says, if I just start giving it to you, you, you'll give me something better in exchange. Now, if that's you, you want to start that kind of a journey with Jesus. I'm going to ask you to do something real crazy and just stand. I'm going to pray for you right where you are. I'm going to pray for one more group of people. If that's you, that's you. So you know what? I can do that. I can can start the journey. God bless you. God bless you, my brother. Someone else. You say, I, I can do that. I, that all my sins ask, I don't know. There's some things I've hidden. He'll have to bring them up again. But what about you? Somebody else. God bless you, young lady. Someone else. I, I can start a journey. I, can, <laughs> I need to start a journey. I'm like your 11-year-old granddaughter. I'm like your granddaughter. Someone else. Anybody else? I'm going to pray for you. Come stand up with me, Pastor Benjamin. You need to see these folks that are standing. Somebody else. Anyone else, I want to pray for you right now, right where you're standing. God bless you. I want him to see and the people that are going to help you walk this journey out. It's just a journey. Father, I pray for those that are standing right now. And I pray that in Jesus' name, the prayer that Linda and I are praying for our grandbaby, that that, that she gets a spiritual understanding from you of who you are. Would you do something? And those that are here right now, they want to begin a journey with you. So would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, begin to transform and change their lives and draw them, give them that peace that surpasses all human understanding. And a little bit at a time, tap them and say, you know, I know you, you thought this was done, but you've never really asked me to forgive you. And then they'll be ready to say, God, I give it to you. And you're going to turn them into who you want them to be because you love them too much to leave them in the spiritual condition that they're in. So I pray blessings upon their lives today in Jesus name.